Billy. Welcome to the Start Small Believe Big Podcast, a safe place for those who find themselves desiring to find their footing in the middle of a life change yet feel inadequate, unwise, and unprepared. You don't have to have it all together to start with one small step. I believe as we allow Jesus to work in and through our lives, one step, one decision, and one action at a time, we will find peace and fulfillment. The Lord rejoices as the work begins. So sit down and get comfy or turn up the volume while you work out or get life done. Let's not resist that small beginning, but persist in the next thing God is calling us to do. Today, I want to welcome our guest, Cynthia Rutti. Cynthia is a well-known name in the inspirational publishing world. Her more than 30 books published have received multiple awards, and her role with the American Christian Fictions Writers Association has provided her, that's a mouthful, American (laughs) Christian Fiction Writers Writers. Association (laughs) has provided her with a unique understanding of what it takes to write a novel that will speak to a reader's heart. Today, Cynthia is releasing her latest novel, Facing the Dawn. In this novel, Cynthia takes readers on an emotional journey that tackles some of life's toughest situations with tenderness and hope. Facing the Dawn is an emotionally evocative novel that will resonate with readers' lives and their life challenges. Hemmed in hope, this tender story will be one readers will not soon forget. Welcome, Cynthia. Thank you so much. I wish I were celebrating the release today. It's on March 2nd, which is fine. That's the that's the air date, perhaps. It is the air date. That's so the air we date. are releasing it. This so, will be released on your birthday yay. of your book. I'm so tickled. And I and I knew that you had calculated it that way, but I'm sitting here today in the middle of celebrating other people's books being released as we record. So when you said those words, my heart just leapt in my chest. Oh, there's going to be an actual release day for another book. It never grows old. Well, you are also an agent in Books and Such Literary Agency, and you have your book babies of your your bookie babies. My, my grandbabies. <laughs> Apparently, these grandbabies. are the grandbabies. I oh. love that. I love that. And we have quite a few books, and I have those. I'll put those books in the show notes, too, because I, I follow Cynthia's um, authors that she represents. They are some friends of mine, and I will definitely put their information for their books in the show notes, but also all of Cynthia's contact information and a link to purchase her book will be in the show notes uh, today too. So Cynthia, tell us about Facing the Dawn. Okay. I would love to talk about that book. It's interesting how even in your introduction, when you were uh, the standard introduction about the the small beginnings and taking one step and all that. There's so much of that that's embedded in the book, Facing the Dawn, which is a thrill to me. But uh, Facing the Dawn is one of those books that I turned out far differently, a novel that turned out far differently than I thought it was going to be when I started. I just wanted to write a story about a woman who had had just about everything in life go wrong recently, and she was weary of everything. Life had faded to practically nothing. She didn't care for the job she was in. Her kids were all giving her trouble. Um, She's called into the principal's office for her sake, not the kid's sake, and something she had done, and, and all 
the um and the and her husband meanwhile is halfway around the world serving in humanitarian efforts and being lauded and applauded and she's trying to hold things together back home that's the story i thought i was going to write all by itself and just what it's like to get the color back in your life and the and the vibrancy back in life and instead, I realized as I got started writing this story, Facing the Dawn, that Mara, the main character, was going to have to go through some way big heart traumas. Not just one, but several of them. And at a time when she was vulnerable and weak and faded and and uh, unsure of herself and angry at almost everything and almost everyone and unable to cope. And her faith wasn't very strong. And her stepping into a place of grief and loss with no fuel to drive her forward was her main crisis. And as the story progresses, there's there's so much to um, dive into in a novel that has layers like this, but it's, yep, it's about grief. It's about loss. It's about navigating that, which we all will have to do. None of us are going to escape that. Um, but it's also about friendships and how we lean on those as we, sometimes it's because we're leaning on our friends because we don't have the energy to put that one foot in front of the other. If we can divert a little bit in the middle of this, there's a there's a part of the story that I didn't expect was going to get written into it, but a forever friend comes back into Mara's life. And one of one of that forever friend's influences is that she believes that if Mara will meet her every morning and they would go walking, start walking together that would be a good thing. And Mara thought, I can't put my shoes on. I don't know how I'm going to do this. So no. But the woman kept showing up at her door day after day after day. A retired policeman across the street came came knocking on the door one day with this woman's um, jacket gripped in his hand saying, is this woman bothering you? Is this lady bothering you, ma'am? Um, <laughs> I can take her away. And and that's kind of the moment that Mara realizes I'm I'm gonna have to go with her to keep her out of jail. So she started that one step idea and they would walk just a little bit and they, they didn't even talk right away. But that concept is just it it shows up everywhere. That idea of I can't manage this thing, it's too big for me. I can only manage tying my shoelaces today. Okay, you got that far. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can manage walking around the block. I'm not yeah. going to do one of those 5K things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I can manage walking around the block, and then that, after a while, that becomes more comfortable and more comfortable, and then you're pressing yourself on to do a little bit more. So there, there are a lot of um, sub themes and 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 ideas within facing the dawn. But part of the concept is that the <laughs> The God who's waiting all the time, he is our son. Mm -hmm. And we have to not just face what is difficult, but also turn our faces to where the light source is coming from. Mm -hmm. And knowing that that is where we're going to find the energy. She, for a time, thought that was what was fading everything. 
is that bright, piercing sunlight. And instead, she realized, no, she needed to turn her face toward the dawn. And there are some just delicious scenes in this book and some that just tore at my own heart. So I'm hoping that readers are going to find something for them to, no matter where they are in their, their walk. Yeah. I'm really excited about your book. There's so many things that just resonate with me and I feel like are going to resonate with so many other people. You know, there are a few, there are some of us like me where our husbands work away from where we are. A lot of the time we don't think it's humanitarian, but some people worship baseball, (laughs) but in that, you know, there are those times that you don't want to, you know, you get, you get pulled down and there are some really deep feelings of depression and grief and, and lack of forgiveness in times that I could see that um, is so relevant to things that people are going through today. Also A question for you going through all those very deep topics of really falling into a darkness. Was it difficult to write about such sensitive topics or, did you have to go through the struggle with it in the writing process or did it just come naturally to you? That's a great question. How, what role does imagination play and what yeah. role does personal experience play and what, and all, all those um, uh, details about it. There was a lot of it where um, depression is not part of my natural makeup. I'm, I consider myself happy all the time, (laughs) but which is annoying to some people, Yeah, (laughs) but I've witnessed it in people I care about a lot. And I've witnessed true clinical depression in people that I care about. And uh, they, they've been close enough to me that, um, that I've, as you do, when you're a compassionate person, when you're empathy minded, you feel like it's happening in your own body. And sometimes when it happens to a a child or a grandchild, you feel it very deeply in your own body, even if if that's not your natural bent. Have I had low moments in my life? Oh, man, yeah. And some of them have been really low. And some of them I've been sitting in my bed, hugging my pillow to my chest, rocking back and forth saying, God, you got to help me. Lord, you have to help me. I have to hear a word from you. I, I don't know what to do. Or the concern is so deep that it just never leaves your mind. So you're operating and functioning, but there's this there's this heavy, heavy weight that you're walking through life with yeah. because you care so much. I think a lot of us are experiencing compassion fatigue right now just because of what's going on around us, but there are people who are living with it every day because either because of their own um, mental health issues or their own grief or the grief that they're sharing with somebody that they care about deeply. Yeah. So for me, as I was writing her story, there were times that I was reflecting on what I felt personally. Other times I was um, remembering what somebody that I love or care about was going through. And then other times when it it had to be just pure imagination of my being willing to put myself in her shoes, being willing to become Mara in order to write the scene. How would I feel if this had happened to me and 
and in various stages too. How would I feel if I didn't have a faith foundation that I could rely on? How would I feel if I had no one around me who who could understand or was understanding? How would I feel if I thought I was supposed to be strong and pretended to do that and there was nothing strong in me? Mm-hmm. So my author mind is has to be schizophrenic at times <laughs> in order to, you know, maybe Whoa. I just had something wonderful happen to me, but that's the moment I'm supposed to sit down and write the scene that brings the tears. Yeah. And, and a lot of that really is relying on, on um, the power of storytelling mm-hmm. and the ability to just, just like when we watch a movie, sometimes we imagine ourselves as that main character. It's right. the same thing for authors. We really become our characters in order to be able to write about them authentically. And of course, then research also comes into that as well. It's so fascinating. It's just fascinating to hear your voice light up talking about mm-hmm. the writing process and how much you love it. And you're so gifted at it. So I, I'm, I feel honored just hearing you talk about your writing process. It's just such a, a cool experience of how you go through that. One of the things I want to touch on that you talked about earlier was that friendship, that person that kept showing up at Mara's door when she felt so down. And I think sometimes when we're going through struggles, we feel like there's nobody there for us. No one's coming to rescue us or to help us or Who's there for me? Who's got my back? And I try to remind people when when they say that or try to remind myself when I feel that, that I need to be that friend for others too, because it's so important to keep showing up, even if it's not pretty, even when it's hard, even when we know our friend is struggling, even when our friend says no. Mm-hmm. Have you had friendships like that that you feel in your life that either someone's been there for you in that way or you've been there for other people? And is that where you drew this from? The balance probably is that I've had more of the friends who have always been there for me than the than my serving that role. E- even though there may be friends that say that I have and I haven't been aware. In fact, we often hear stories about that. You remember that line that you said to me in 2007, it it really made a difference. Nope, I don't remember. I believe you that you say that those words might have come out of my mouth, but that's kind of a sign to me too, that I was just operating by what God wanted me to do in the moment, as opposed to thinking up something creative that would comfort my friend. So those ones that we're completely unaware of probably are the ones with the highest impact, with the most impact. I have had what I call forever friends in my life, several of them. And one of them I had just reconnected with after a long absence from one another, long, long, long decades of absence from one another, and just reconnected with her when I was right working on this book. And I took some inspiration from what that meant to have someone who was always, always faithful, even though we never got to see each other for year after year after year. And when we had a, a Zoom call together one day for, we we spent like two hours together reconnecting after literally decades of not having a face-to-face conversation. It was, we com- compared the parallels of our walking side by side. We, um, it, but it was like we were 
still one because the forever part of our forever friend was this friendship was was based on our shared love of Jesus. And uh, that made a huge, huge difference. And I have other forever friends in my life too that really inspired the um, amazing actions of someone who would be faithful when when the hurting one is ugly sometimes. I mean, just plain ugly. There was a uh, an experience in my history back when I was young and had no real wisdom, but um, a friend of mine was hurting so deeply, good, good friend, hurting so deeply, but her grief pushed everybody away. It pushed everybody away. And I and I said something about, I, I, I don't want to give up on you. I love you. And the response was, I don't need it. I don't need your love. And I made a determination at that point to, instead of being hurt by that, I made a determination that I was going to love anyway. She just didn't have to hear about it all the time. And it might have been four years or more than that when finally that deep, deep grief emerged into something that she could manage and, and walk out of. It was, I, I would have not wanted to trade places with her because it was a it was a horrific thing that she went through. But I'm absolutely convinced that love, love and faithfulness are true. Truly, the only things that are ever going to work to yeah. break through something like that, and um, and that's and she's gone through some extremely deep grief since then. And but she's she's allowed me to keep loving yeah. now. And um, so part of the answer to the question really is, I have felt that kind of faithfulness toward me. I hope I have been that kind of faithful friend to someone else. But it's also kind of, it's drawing just a little bit from the book of Job idea that the friends who don't say anything are sometimes the ones that we really need at the moment. Just be here during the um, during the season where, we, where we've often talked about um, ding-dong ditch, wow. where Somebody is showing up at the door outside your house, ringing the doorbell and running because yeah. not supposed to have connection, but I just wanted to drop a, a yeah. bowl of soup off for you or a yeah. container of soup off for you. And I think the ding dong ditch thing is such a loving response. I, I, you, I don't want anything from you. I don't even need conversation with you. I just need you to know that I love you. And so those kinds of things come up in a story like this too, where um, I may not have a great deal of wisdom to share, but I'm just going to share that I am here. That is awesome. I love that. And I love that I have the idea of Ding Dong Ditch. That's not my experience with Ding Dong Ditch as a child, but as right. an adult. <laughs> it's a whole new game now. It's a whole new game, whole new game. Oh my goodness, that is so good. So I want to ask another question, one more question about the book. I know we're getting close to wrapping up, but did you have, and I love asking this of authors because it always surprises me, not always, but usually surprises me. Who was your favorite character in the book? I would have to say it's probably Ashley, and she is that forever friend. That's she awesome. was so creative in her methods. She was so gentle in her approach. She, Mara wound up being much stronger than she ever knew, but Ashley was the person who, um, who was, 
so, so sensitive, so caring. She had her own issues, but she she really was strong in her own right in a way, but also willing to go according to the temperature of the need of the moment. Mm-hmm. She she was so sensitive to watching for when it was right to speak up and when it was right to step back. I have a um a scripture verse, if it's okay, yeah, that right. relates relates to the story and this this idea too of what of the where where healing really comes from. Sometimes it's through art, sometimes it's through beauty, sometimes it's through a caring friend, sometimes it's through having time to process. But I love this line from Psalm 90, verse 14, that says, let the sunrise of your love, Lord, end our dark night, break through our clouded dawn again. So, Even though Facing the Dawn wasn't going to have that as a title when it was originally written, it's the perfect title. My word for the year last year was a phrase of the year, which was guard the dawn. I had no idea what that meant, but then it eventually became part of the title of this book about Facing the Dawn and his letting the the sunrise of his love ending our dark, dark night. I love that. I always love talking with you. You're such a I could just talk with you all day, Cynthia. <laughs> You're amazing. I could too. Could we do that? How would yeah. that really mess up your schedule? <laughs> you know, maybe that might happen. Talking about messing up schedules. Am I messing up a schedule of what you're working on next? Are you oh. already in the process of working on your next? I have a novel I am just chomping at the bit to get to, to get to be able to write that story because it's just so alive in my mind right now. And it's, it's a, it doesn't have a contract yet, but I am itching to get to it. But I have a nonfiction book that releases in the fall. Right now, I believe the title is Spouse in the House. And it's addressing specifically what it's like, whether it's retirement or work from home or home office working a business out of your home or, oh, a pandemic or something like that, (laughs) whatever it is. It's like baseball. Yeah. (laughs) Or yes, or the off season, whatever keeps uh, spouses in a house that seems like the walls are closing in. How do we navigate that? And how do we navigate it with humor as well? So I'm looking forward to that. That's coming out from Kriegel in the fall. That's really good. Well, congratulations on an amazing career that just keeps going and blessing others. We thank you for all that you've given back to the kingdom with your gifts that God's given you and the calling that he's given you. And also in nurturing and mentoring and shepherding these beautiful humans that you have that are also producing some amazing works. And we really, I appreciate you for all of that. I truly do. And I thank you so much for being with me today here. Thank you too, Billy. It's a joy to reconnect with you always. Always. And I, um, I'm grateful, grateful beyond measure for what God has assigned to me and what he's allowed me to do and how he's allowed me to participate in what he's doing in the world. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, remember that all of Cynthia's contact information and a link to her books will be in the show notes. I'm also including links to some of her book grandbabies, as she called them, in the show notes. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Start Small, Believe Big. I pray this podcast has encouraged you to allow Jesus to work in and through your life 
one step, one decision, and one action at a time. Can I ask you to help out with the show? Subscribe to the podcast where you listen. And also, if you could leave an honest review, that really helps. Thank you in advance for your review. If you also want to keep in touch with me, you can sign up for my daily devotional emails. You'll get a bit of morning sunshine in your inbox Monday through Friday. You can find a link in the show notes. And I promise no spam, just Jesus and me. Now, let's not resist that small beginning, but persist in the next thing God is calling us to do. Be blessed, my dear friends. Until next time.